fans are going nowhere. They're ready to party. There's one out to complete the task. The 2-1 pitch. Swing and a looper to shallow left. On comes Conforto. Slides. Makes the catch. Put it in the box. The New York Mets, for only the second time in franchise history, are going to the postseason for a second consecutive year for an organization that so often this year seemed to be tested. Their medal challenged a hurdle almost daily with another injury. And then another have somehow fought through all of the adversities. This is a tribute to everyone in this organization.
I, it means so much, man. So I look forward to it. I'm so fortunate that I got the opportunity to come over here. You know that injuries are going to occur over the course of a season, and you just have to be able to respond uh, when they occur. And um, I'm really proud of the organization, uh, both the player development system, the professional scouting, you know, the contributions that we got from players who uh, either weren't on our 40-man roster or 25-man roster at the beginning or weren't even in the organization at the beginning. You know, we had high expectations coming into this season, and, uh, uh, you know, we just went to a wild card. It wasn't a division championship, but uh, at the same time, given all the obstacles that we had to overcome, uh, very happy. You know, it's it's uh, it's tough to do back-to-back, and uh, Kansas City did it uh, with a flourish last year. Uh, we get another shot at it, but uh, I'm very pleased for the organization, and particularly for the fans. The fans uh, have been great over the course of the last six years in my, in my uh, tenure, and uh, very happy that uh, for them going back. Another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, October the 2nd. I thought that montage was an appropriate way to start the program, as I promised about a week ago at this time that we wouldn't record this week's podcast till everything was in the can, the matchups were settled, and uh, the Giants cooperated and the Cardinals cooperated because there's not going to be any playing game, there's not going to be in, in, any ambiguity. Uh, City Field Wednesday night. The Mets will be playing the Giants. It'll be Noah Syndergaard against Madison Bumgarner. Uh, hope everybody's had a great weekend. I'm sure yesterday was fun. Second year in a row, the Mets clinch, and the fans could have some fun uh, down in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, we're going to have a fan segment later on. Chris from MetsMorizedOnline.com will pop on for a couple of minutes. I think he was down in Philadelphia and, and give the fan perspective. But joining me in just a few will be Rich Catino. You guys know Rich from uh, uh, SNY and ESPN, and, and, and he's all over the place on Twitter. So Rich uh, will be joining me. Uh, always a positive voice in the Mets community, and he's been proven right. So I uh, had a chance to talk to Rich for a few minutes this morning, setting up the spot, and he's looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to uh, Rich uh, coming on with us. I'm not going to go into a long monologue here because what else is there really to say? I, I, you know, I was wrong. I mean, I... I've gone from doing a podcast just about a month ago, just about when this run started, exactly almost to the day where uh, James Flippin of WOR and I were talking about how this is the most disappointing season in maybe Mets history, to now maybe this, regardless of what will happen on Wednesday or throughout the postseason, one of the more gratifying, if not the most gratifying, because of where they were, how they had a change on the fly, how as an organization from top to bottom, everybody had to contribute. This is a, a speaks volumes for this regime, the Sandy Alderson regime, from it validates the draft philosophy, it validates the player development philosophy, it validates the managers and the coaches at the big league level, um, the, the, what they're doing in terms of uh, scouring the, the league for value acquisitions, value signings, guys like Fernando Salas, Addison Reed. These are guys that were tossed by organizations. Both of those guys could be used as closers for somebody right now. You could make the argument. Mets have three closers, seven, eight, nine. 
And that's a pretty uh, pretty powerful thing entering the postseason, especially without the big pitchers that you would have expected. Uh, back when Sandy Alderson took over, you know, one of the things I said is that you know, and a lot of Mets fans like the amazing, the believe, let's go Mets, and you see it all throughout City Field. And those are just not winning principles, and it's always bothered me. Now, I'm not in the camp of like the Yankees where it's World Series or bust and this joyless, almost corporate methodical philosophy that permeates from the organization out to the players all the way to the fans. But what Sandy Alderson brought, and, and it's what is needed, and that's what makes the amazing and the believe and all that possible, is sustainable, repeatable, and adaptable Infrastructure, really, and and you have to think that the Mets have that. Now, that sounds stiff and corny, but that's what this is about. The fact that they can go 40 deep and not star-wise, I'm not saying that, but guys like T.J. Rivera and Josh Smoker and even Josh Edgen and, and, and being able to go and, and, and go to Robert Gazelman and, and, and Seth Lugo – and get the kind of performance. I mean, look, these guys are not winning Cy Youngs, even with they pitch very well. But they're quality major league pitchers. It's not about everybody being the next Cy Young. Not everybody's going to be Noah Syndergaard. It's about having the next man up mentality, but also having the players that could contribute and play at a quality level. Like what the Cardinals have done for so many years. How the Yankees in the 90s, no matter who they brought in, it was the old goofy power of the pinstripes. Maybe the Mets are establishing that here. And everybody likes to talk about the comparisons to 73. You could make the argument that every winning era in Mets history, from the 69 to 73 era, the 80s, the Bobby Valentine era, the Willie Randolph era, those are four, the four major eras. 69 to 73, the 80s, Bobby V, Willie Randolph, were marked by disappointment, marked by leaving the fans wanting marked by things they didn't do. And right now, that's not the case with this group. It took a while. It was painful in 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. And yeah, the financial situation of the ownership group, probably this could have been expedited a little bit with some with some money pumped into the, the team. Maybe Jose Reyes never would have left if that were the case. But that's the past. And right now, what you hear, what you heard in that montage were players that are having fun, believing in this team, believing in the culture or the organization, and, and believing that this is a winning environment. That's a situation where you're going to have guys who are going to want to stay here. You're going to have guys who want to come in here. It's going to make things a heck of a lot easier in the near future. And who knows? Maybe it lasts more. I said you got about four or five-year windows with these guys who are these arms. But, you know, you got Gazelman and Lugo coming into the play. I don't know. Again, let's see what happens. Let's see the second time around the league. Let's see how they pitch in the postseason. But to me, you have something here. And if you play it right and you're smart and you continue to invest financially in this team, you might have yourself a little run with their playoff uh, team every year. And eventually you're in the playoffs all these years. You're going to win one of them. You know, it's a lot really hard to do what the Yankees did four out of five years. It's hard to repeat. Shoot, it's hard to get into the playoffs two years in a row. But you set the foundation. You set the mindset. You, you, you have quality player development. You can't just go out and buy all this stuff. You could never buy or trade for all the things the Mets got over the last 30 days. But you can develop it, and you don't have to develop stars. 
For every Noah Syndergaard, you could have a couple of T.J. Riveras because that's what a 25-man roster is all about. And that's what this season's about. And no matter what happened, to me, what transpired in the month of late August into September will serve them well next year because it gives them options on this roster. It makes it a lot easier to plug the gaps. And I'm going to tell you, there are going to be players and good players who are going to want to come here. And I don't know if you're Ioannis Cespedes, and money always trumps it all. I get it. But do you want to leave what really could be a great situation with teammates like Estrubal Cabrera and Jose Reyes, a support system, to go somewhere else for a couple extra years? You never know. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Rich Catino is going to be joining me. Rich is, uh, of course, the uh, New York Mets beat reporter for 98.7 ESPN. You can see him on Files 1. He's also uh, part of the SNY.TV team, and he's going to join us, and we'll talk a little bit about the Mets, the game coming up, and, uh, and his take on everything. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can listen to the show all the time on MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and uh, we'll continue right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Talking Mets podcast, and uh, as promised, I uh, have with me uh, the New York Mets beat reporter for 9870 ESPN, and you can check him out on Fios One as well as part of the SNY.TV team. It's Rich Catino, who is also on Twitter, at Catino9, and Rich is kind enough to join us right after the Jets game, who, you know, Rich was out there covering them uh, in their loss today. Rich, uh, Mike Silva, hope all is well. What's going on, my friend? How you doing? Uh, I guess we're getting ready for Mets Giants, and a few days after a couple of days off, uh, going to be Baumgartner and Syndergaard, and it should be exciting. Yeah, Rich, and what I said in the open was this. I I think no matter what happens Wednesday or what happens in the postseason, what transpired over the last 30 days or six weeks is so important for the development or the um, putting the foundation of the winning culture that Sandy Alderson wanted to create back in 2011 when he was hired. The fact that they could go 40 deep in some ways, and I'm not talking about stars. I'm talking about guys who could come and contribute. Uh, the next man up mentality, it validates the player development. It val- validates the draft strategy. It validates the coaching at the big league level. If you remember, what failed the Mets under Omar Minaya and Willie Randolph was that they had about eight or nine, ten guys, and that was it. And when those guys didn't perform, nobody else could either step up or with injuries they couldn't come in. And to me, this group, from top to bottom, is the antithesis of what that group was, you know, about ten years ago. 
Well, I agree, and I think it's the antithesis of most major league teams. Most major league teams, you know, I always look at it, and we've talked about this, offensively, starting pitching-wise and closer, I look at 10 players that a team has as their core, whether that's good or bad, we can figure out. But the Mets lost core players. They lost Matt Harvey. They lost Jacob DeGrom. Okay, DeGrom pitched for most of the season. They lost Steven Matz. They never got Zach Wheeler back. They lost David Wright, Lucas Duda, Juan Lagares, Neil Walker. The Mets have that third-string second baseman now. And I agree with you. In the Omamanaya years, it hurt the Mets when Pelfrey wasn't ready to be what the Mets thought he was going to be. But that's the case for most major league teams. And I just think this is planets lining up in a way with the general manager making good decisions, with the players on the minor league level being developed the right way and having the poise to be in a pennant race. And I also think some of it's luck, too. There's no question about it. But I think this is a rarity in this sport. And I think the Omar Minaya definition that you had is what, where most teams are, and that's what makes this so special. Yeah, and luck is also the product of design. It used to drive me crazy late 90s, turn of the century. Anytime the Yankees would acquire somebody, uh, Glenn Allen Hill comes to mind, Jose Vizcaino. These guys all of a sudden turned into something that they clearly weren't, and then they'd come and they'd go away, but they'd contribute. But look at the Mets. You know, Fernando Salas comes in, pitches lights out like a closer, Addison Reed, uh, guys like that. I mean, what, 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 again, goes back to what I feel the important component of this year is that it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to keep players here because they're going to want to play here. And it's going to be uh, really fun to see players who are good players say, I want to be there. And the Mets haven't had that maybe in their history because um, when they were last really, you know, the, the, the dynasty, you want to say, or the dynasty that wasn't back in the 80s, free agency and trades weren't like they were today. Now you're going to have guys knocking down the door. And, um, you know, I don't think it matters what happens on Wednesday. I think you really could see that everybody at this point would have to think this is house money. And you have to feel good about the Mets going into next year regardless. I do. And, and I think, too, you got all these – injured pitchers coming back, that's not to say all of them will be able to perform at the level we're accustomed to, but the other part of it is that some of the hitters now from the minor leagues are starting to get cemented. You know, I, I look at a guy like Jay Rivera, he can play Brandon Nelson told me things that I, I didn't think a young player could show. Being able to come off the bench and have good at-bats off the bench as a pinch hitter. Um, and listen, you know, Juan Lagares is another injury that the Mets had that you wonder where everything fits. If Jay Bruce is back there next year, and let's say the Mets resign Cespedes, you got Granderson and you got Lagares, you know, that's a lot of outfielders, but it's a good problem to have. And I think one of the things that when I talk to agents that, you know, years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, they would say, well, my guy would go to the Mets if, exhaust all those other possibilities. Now when I talk to agents about who they think their client is a good fit for, the Mets are usually in the front of the discussion with teams like the Nationals, with teams like the Dodgers, and even ahead of teams like the Yankees, teams like the Red Sox. So I think it's a couple of things, Mike. I think it's, one, what you said, and two, it's the atmosphere the Mets have created within the clubhouse where it really is frowned upon for people to be selfish. And even last year, and I know Daniel Murphy's not on the team anymore, 
But even last year, when Ron Uribe came to the Mets, Daniel Murphy would spend time with him before the game going over scouting reports. This is a guy that was taking playing time potentially from Murphy. I've seen Flores do it this year with T.J. Rivera. I've seen Neil Walker being hurt sitting there with uh, Davin Ciccini recently. Um, I see Darno speaking with Rivera. Yesterday I talked to Darno and he was bubbling about Rene Rivera. He said, I'm so glad he's on the team. He's done, a, he's done such a great job with the pitching staff. This is a guy taking at-bats from Travis Darno, But to Travis Darno, winning is the most important thing. And I think Terry Collins and Sandy Olerson, and yes, the Met minor league system for the players that have come up have created that atmosphere. And I'll tell you, you know, Mike, I manage people in other things I do. I've learned a lot from Terry Collins. I've learned that as a manager, I'm not always going to make the right move. But making the right move and then criticizing a player, making the wrong move, I should say, and then criticizing a player because of it is only going to make the player hate you and or the worker hate you. But not letting him or her, in my case, I have male and female people that work for me, in my case, I'm taking the hit for them because I'm the manager and I bear the responsibility. And Terry Collins has shown that to me in the last three, four years I've been around him. And I think I've become a better manager in other things I do because of what I see Terry Collins do. No, that's a fair point. And, look, I'm critical of Collins. And, look, I, I agree. You can see the atmosphere, uh, the players like him. I mean, he's, he's sketchy with in-game management and managing the bullpen. And that scares everybody, especially going in. Uh, I thought it was funny. I, I think it was a Mike Vaccaro column that I was reading just a day or two ago where even his wife was like, why didn't you bring Familia in for two innings in game four? And then I was listening to the broadcast today, and uh, Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez were saying that Terry basically said the biggest learning he had from uh, last postseason to here is, you know, go to Familia. And look, if that's what it's going to take, you know, that he finally realizes that you got to stick with the formula, especially with the bullpen that got you there. Then great. Listen, he's got the managing the media, managing the clubhouse down. If he could just get some basic bullpen management down, uh, Rich, you know they're going to be in pretty good shape. And he's obviously coming back next year. After that, who knows? So, you know this this wave will probably be something. This window will be something that you can see for for the next few years. And who knows after next year what uh, what comes of Terry Collins? I agree, and I always think when teams are building quality organizations, I look at it as a five year window. And I thought the window started probably a little earlier than I thought in 2015. But to me, it's a five-year window. And for this Met team, it's even I even supplant that notion even more because of the young pitching and the fact that Mets don't have to make decisions about these pitchers you know, right away. The first guy they're going to have to make a decision about in a year or two is Matt Harvey. But then it kind of grates. It's a different pitcher each year they're going to have to make that decision on. And I think that that means that this team will have some depth now, clearly, in pitching. And again, Gazelman and, and, and Lugo, they could fall off the cliff at any moment. But, you know, at least going into next year, you have to at least consider them part of the depth. And I think that's what makes the Mets an interesting team, because if they do want to add offense in the offseason, they have more depth than even they had last year in the offseason, which is mind-boggling to say. And, Rich, when you came on, I think I talked to you last, around the All-Star break, you mentioned who you thought was the most important player for uh, the Mets at that time. It was Estrubal Cabrera. Now, when you looked at the numbers at that time, Cabrera was solid, but he was a below-league average hitter. And I remember some of the fans saying, what's wrong with Rich? You know, How can he say a guy 
the shortstop, as solid as he's been, is more valuable than Ioannis Cespedes. And, um, you know, I don't think, it, it, you know, he's not the same type of player, obviously, as Cespedes, but I don't think it's a surprise or coincidence that this run, which started in San Francisco, coincided with the return of, of Cabrera. Yeah, doesn't it seem like a long time ago when Cabrera had that run of not driving anyone into scoring position? I mean, sure, right. I felt I felt he was important because of where I envisioned him being in the lineup. And once the Mets got Jose Reyes back healthy, I felt that the guy hitting two would benefit so much from being between Reyes. And of course, Cespedes went out too right around the Yankee series on the disabled list. But I felt like once they got healthy there, I thought it would click. Now, I really didn't think of Granderson as a four-hitter. I thought Jay Bruce was going to be in that role um, once the Mets acquired him. But I think Granderson ended up being, you know, and this sounds so weird, he ended up being more patient as a fourth-hitter than he ever was as a leadoff hitter this year, which is mind-boggling. You would think he'd be more patient as a leadoff hitter to try to get on base because that's the definition of that concept. But Granderson um, has done again what he did last year. And, you know, everyone looks and says, well, who's going to be the Met Daniel Murphy this year if they make a long run? Um, I'm going to put a little wager that Curtis Granderson's going to be that guy. And he's not going to duplicate what Murphy did. That's impossible to duplicate at any level. There's a reason why it was never done in baseball <laughs> before Murphy did it. But I think Granderson could be of a very dangerous bat, particularly if the Mets beat the Giants and go to Wrigley Field. Wrigley, the Cubs are great. The Cubs have talent everywhere. But the Cubs have not been a big game all year. And remember what the Cubs did to the Cardinals last year when the Cardinals had well over 100 wins. Once you get past that wild card game, you almost think you have a second life. And if you look at the history of the teams that won the wild card game, in the first round after it, they usually at least put together a very representative um, effort. And if the Mets win Wednesday, and again, it's a big hill to climb Wednesday with Baumgartner, but if the Mets win Wednesday, I think that, you know, we might be looking at a game five in a Wrigley Field. Yeah, that's a great point. I have with me Rich Coutinho at Coutinho9 on uh, Twitter, uh, Mets Beat Reporter, 987 ESPN, uh, SMY.TV team he's with uh, as well. He's uh, kind enough to spend a couple of minutes here on the way back from uh, the Jets-Seahawks game. Jay Bruce impressed me yesterday, Rich. I watched an interview with he and uh, Steve Galbs, and I said to everybody, you know, the thing that always concerns me with those deadline deals, and this is before I knew any of this stuff, was that these guys, they get transplanted, they're, fa- they're away from their families, they're in a new environment, they're living out of a suitcase. It's Look, no one's feeling sorry for someone making $15 million a year, but Let's put it in perspective. Baseball players are a creature of habit. When you get traded on July 31st, your routine changes and you have to get a time to adjust. Not everybody's like Cespedes. You hear he's lived in about five places. He's away from his uh, his, his wife and his uh, his young uh, child. So, you know, maybe he's you know finally settling in. And he's, he comes across as a very erudite uh, individual. And uh, I know there was some knocks about whether he wanted to be here or not. But right now, you know, he's played a big part the last 10 days. And he could play a big part. Uh, you mentioned Granderson in, uh, in a series against the Cubs and uh, or any series, especially on uh, Wednesday's game. Yeah, and I, and, and I think, too, one of the things that Bruce, what Bruce's bat has done, aside from his bat being 
something that the Mets desperately need to score runs. It's helped lengthen the Met lineup. Now the Met lineup, you look at it, you have Reyes, Cabrera, Cespedes, Granderson who's hitting, Bruce who's hitting, T.J. Rivera who's you know gotten a lot of big hits, and now all of a sudden you have a power bat in that seventh hole in Lucas Duda, if you want, or a, a decent bat in James Loney. And now that eighth spot, if Renee Rivera's in it, you're not expecting offense from him, but you're expecting him to defensively supplant the position. I think the Bruce hot streak has lengthened the Met lineup to the point where they are no longer a deficient offensive team. I'm not saying they're the best lineup in the National League, but they're an above-average lineup with those parts in the mix. And one thing I learned from being around Mike Piazza, he always told me, he said, Rich, the most underrated thing in baseball is not so much having a murderer's row lineup. It's navigating through the lineup and not having the pitcher have a breath of fresh air until he gets that eighth or ninth hole in the order. And I think the Met offense has the ability to be that. And then think about this for a minute. You're going to have the postseason, and tomorrow, on Wednesday, you know, you're going to have Michael Conforto on the bench. You're going to have Kelly Johnson on the bench. You're going to have Alejandro Diaz on the bench. Your bench is something that you can go to to, to get offense too. So I think it's providing, the, it's providing the Mets with an offense that could do some damage in the playoffs um, because of the length of it, not necessarily the talent of it through and through, but the length of going through that lineup is not an easy thing. And they're going to have, listen, the formula is not going to be the same as it was back in April. You're going to want to get six innings out of your starters. You go to Salas for the seventh, Reed for the eighth, Familia for the ninth. And uh, it's almost a little bit more like what they needed to do in 2006. And, uh, you know, you look at this team being depleted. You look at that 06 team. I know they had guys like Delgado and Beltran and Wright and Reyes who were young and just in the, in the early prime. But this team is set up probably better than that team. And, and, and that team lost Pedro. That team lost uh, El Duque. Um, you know, if you're going with the guys they have, I mean, all you got to get is six innings, two, three runs from a Gazelleman or a Lugo. I feel good about the seven, eight, nine. which last year it was different because you really needed to get two innings out of Familia. You had to use Cologne as a bridge. In some ways, it's a little cleaner late innings with this team than it was even just last year. True, and also remember, too, the Mets have ability. Let's say their start only gets through five innings. Well, they can put together a sixth inning of Jerry Blevins, Hansel Robles, and Josh Smoker. And having Smoker and Blevins as lefties in the pen is going to be helpful if they play a team that's got left-handed bats in the middle of their order, like the Giants. You know, when Brandon Belt, you want to, want to face a lefty, face him twice. You have the option to do that. Same thing with a Rizzo and a Jason Hayward and all the left-handed bats that, you know, are possessed in the playoffs. So, yes, I think Salas, Reed, and Familia are the trio that's going to end games. But I think if you've got to get to the seventh inning and you're in the sixth, you're not necessarily going to push your starter to the sixth if he's losing it. You might put an inning together where you have, let's say you have a left-handed bat, a right-handed bat, and a left-handed bat. Well, what the Mets can do is pitch Blevins, Robles, and Smoker. And be able to potentially get out of that inning and then have everything equal for that trio that's going to start the seventh inning to finish up the game. You know, I was looking at um, trying to figure out the roster here, and, and, and for those who may not know, you, you set the roster for the, the wild card game, 
and then you could reset it for the division series. So you're really setting the roster for one game. And, um, you know, I got pretty much rich as I'm going through with 22 definites. That's Darno, Loney, Cabrera, Reyes, Cespedes, Granderson, Diazza, Rene Rivera, Kelly Johnson, Jay Bruce, uh, Lucas Duda. I've got Ligaris in, in there, uh, TJ Rivera. And then you've got uh, Seth Lugo, Gazelman, Salas, uh, of course, Familia, Blevins, uh, Addison Reed, Robles, uh, Cologne, and Syndergaard. Now, my question is, it's interesting. You've got guys like Smoker, you mentioned. He's probably going to be on it. That would be 23. Um, I guess Conforto would be 24. And then maybe you take a third catcher in Ploiecki, 25, or Eric Campbell. It, you could also think about this, Rich. Would you possibly not put Lugo and Gazelman, because they're starters, on the roster and go deeper with situational guys like Edgen to get even more lefty-righty in there. I, I, I've been scouring Twitter. It doesn't look like the Mets have really given an indication other than the fact that Duda's going to start, not Campbell, which there was some talk about that. What are your thoughts? How would you, for this one game, how would you set this roster? Would you leave some of the starters off? You might even consider Cologne leaving off because he's supposed to start game one on, fr- on Friday if they get past the Giants. Yeah, I think they're going to leave at least two starters off that off the one-game playoff roster, um, and maybe three. So I think what you might see is not only maybe, you know, you could see a third catcher. Um, there's a possibility of Brandon Nemo could be on that, that roster for another left-handed bat off the bench, although they do have a bunch of left-handed bats in Kelly Johnson, and they have Diazza, they have Conforto. Um there's a possibility you might put a Ty Kelly on that roster just to have some speed off the bench that if you want to use a pinch runner late in the game. So those are all possibilities that the Mets might employ. Rich, before I let you go, give me your prediction for Wednesday. Mets are facing Bumgarner, they're facing the Giants. Giants don't really score a lot of runs. Um, Noah Syndergaard is not an inexperienced postseason pitcher. He's got uh, three postseason starts under his belt including a big one in the World Series where if the Mets lost, they would pretty much be down 3 nothing. Um, what do you think is going to happen? This is going to be a tough one, um, you know, but the, you also got the home field. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on Wednesday? What are you feeling here? My feeling is Mets 3, Giants 1. Um, I think Syndergaard will give him seven innings. I think he's got the extra rest, which is certainly a big plus. I think Reed will pitch the eighth, Familia will pitch the ninth, and um, I think the Mets will be off to the National League Division Series. And I'll tell you what, you everyone talks about the Cubs and you know how the Mets will be the you know obviously nobody in the country is going to be rooting for the Mets because everyone wants this curse to be you know the national media wants this curse to be uh, broken. But if you remember, Rich, every time the Cubs have been in these postseason scenarios, the minute they get behind, especially at Wrigley Field, that place gets tight as a drum. You jump on those guys up 3 nothing. You steal a game in Wrigley. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter that you have 102 wins. So a lot could change overnight now that you're in the postseason. It'll be very interesting. And we've seen it time and time again, and I'll point back in that history, okay, twice. In 1973, no one thought they'd ever beat the Reds, okay? They figured out oh, the Mets won the division with 82, 83 wins. There's no way. They, they, five games, they beat the Reds. And I'll tell you, the other time that I remember people thinking the Mets wouldn't win was in 2000 in the division series against the Giants. People forget how good that Giants team was. They were the number one seed, and the Mets went in, and they lost to the first game of the series. 
and then won that great game that Franco struck out Bonds looking to end the game. They got an Agbayani walk-off homer, and then an unbelievable game by Bobby Jones. And I don't think any of those things you could have predicted before that series and said, well, Franco's going to strike out Bonds to end the game, Agbayani's going to hit a walk-off, and Bobby Jones is going to pitch a one-hitter. And that, to me, is the illustration of what the playoffs is. And one of the reasons why I think the Braves, the great Braves that won all the divisions, didn't win more, they didn't win more because great depth in your pitching is much more accountable in a 162-game season than it is in a short series. And, you know, one of the things that, that the Cubs are going to have to figure out if they ever play the Mets is, is as Syndergaard doesn't hold runners on, John Lester doesn't either. So the games Lester pitches, if Jose Reyes is on base, or even if other players are on base, expect the Mets to run more than you used to see them running. Again, these are the things that you see more in a short series. Over a long season, you might say, we got a long season, we'll try to beat Lester. You know, but what? If we lose, we'll get them tomorrow. And throw this in the mix, too. The Mets are 5-2 and two against the Cubs this year, and that was when they didn't have anywhere near the, the team and the, and the momentum they have now. I honestly think that Joe Mann and the Cubs are rooting hard for the Giants on Wednesday night because I think they think it's a better matchup for them. I think they think the Giant bullpen is much more combustible. And I think that all that stuff put together, Joe Madden, can you imagine if the Mets beat the Cubs? They may not let a New Yorker ever in O'Hare Airport again. And <laughs> That's a good, <laughs> they, they That's a good line. Because 69, you know, you talk about last year. And right. if the if the Mets rest another t- another thing from the Cubs, okay, and the Mets have house money here, okay, and I'm not saying the Mets don't want to win the series because you always think you're going to win the series, okay, but if the Mets win the wild card game and lose a five game series to the Cubs, do you really think anyone's going to criticize the Mets for the season? Mets are house money. That Rich, I, I maybe I'm crazy. Maybe that uh, Mets lose Wednesday, it's house money. I don't think anybody at this point, can criticize this season. This season has been a success. I know that that doesn't fit into the old Randy Levine, Yankee uh, World Series of bust, but you know what? All you can do in the sports today is put yourself in a position to win, and it's, it's not easy. And I think everybody's seen, because our culture for a while, thanks to the Bulls and the Yankees and the Lakers and the Spurs, it became if you weren't that, you were a failure. And I think you know that's an anomaly. That's greatness at another level. And to, to judge teams on that, it's just not fair. And I think that this, they, I think they have house money, and they should play like that. I think they should play with house money, personally. I know that some fans may think that's not the right mindset, but after all that they've been through and what they've got in front of them and the roster they have and the holes that they really still do have in the pitching staff, um, I just think it's house money going forward. I totally agree, and I love what college basketball does. They celebrate the Final Four. They celebrate the four teams that get through that Survive and Advance tournament. And I take that notion, and I celebrate. To me, when the last four teams in any sport that are there, to me, are all championship-level teams. And it's just things that, you know, happen one way or the other. And I think that when you get into a situation like that where you're in the Final Four, that should be celebrated. 
And I love the fact that college basketball does that and celebrates those teams for a good week, you know, until the Saturday semifinals. I know you can't do that in every sport, but I that's the notion that I live with. I live with the notion that Final Fours in sports should be celebrated all four teams. And I like the college hoop does it. And, if you know, I looked at it last year, and to me, the Mets and Cubs and, you know, the Royals and the Jays should all have been celebrated for getting to the sports Final Four. It's something I've always felt, and, and it's something that I think should be done. I, I agree. Not, not, not a bad point at all. Hey, Rich, what can we expect from you? Uh, what are you going to be doing covering the postseason? Obviously, you're doing some football today uh, if, at, at Catino9 on Twitter. If the listeners want to follow you or know what's coming up, what do you got coming up for them? A couple things. Um, I'm strictly on the Mets, you know, through their playoff run. And then come the off offseason, um, I'll be doing a little Jets, Knicks, and Rangers for uh, ESPN. But I'm also working on a book that's coming out in late February about the last 30 years of uh, sports reporting in New York and having a lot of fun with writing that book because um, some of the chapters that are in there are going to be real, uh, let's just say, real different (laughs) than people expected. One is going to be on the farm system, I think, of broadcasting in this industry, and that's what the um, and that's what the WFUV, the Fordham station, and Sports Phone in the past did to build right. this, this business. The other is going to be a top ten list, and I'm not going to rank them one to ten. I'm just going to list ten for the various disciplines of reporting in this town. One is kind of beat reporting. Uh, I'm also going to look at um, some other stuff like who the best players are. Um, who the best analysts are, who the best columnists are. Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic as we go forward in the book. And I think people are going to be surprised with some of the names I have on there. Well, looking forward to that, Rich. We'll definitely have a discussion about that when it comes out. Um, uh, be well. We're, uh, we're all going to be watching the postseason and uh, checking you out. And let's uh, let's do it again. And you know what? If uh, – if uh, the Mets win the World Series, maybe I won't uh, bother you on Twitter about Terry Collins anymore, right? So I'll make that deal with you. You got it, buddy. Take care. Stay well. All right. Have a great Sunday. That's Rich Catino at Catino9 on Twitter. Hey, let's take a quick break. Let's get the fan perspective before we wrap up. Chris from MetsMarinesOnline.com was down in uh, Philadelphia this weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, he's uh, he's going to give us the uh, – the, uh, the, the, uh, the fan point of view here when it comes to the, uh, the the Mets and clinching and what have you. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMemorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsMemorizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Uh, final segment here on Mike Silva Talking Mets Podcast. You just heard from... Rich Catino, and uh, joining me now, let's get the fan point of view. Chris from MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can check him out on Twitter at the teacher. Uh, Chris uh, contributes to uh, the MetsmerizedOnline.com community. He's been on a couple of times this year. Chris, you were down in Philly. Um, how was your uh, your weekend, and uh, how was the celebration there of, uh, you know, what's really just the first step? But, you know, the, after 162 games, I think they do deserve to celebrate the Mets uh, an accomplishment, albeit not the ultimate accomplishment but accomplishment nonetheless. I agree. I mean, the goal is you obviously want to win the division, but they get into the postseason nonetheless. And uh, it was, as you said, just a little bit subdued of a celebration. Uh, I was lucky enough to be out in Cincinnati last year for the division clinching game as well. And part of the champagne shower, the whole deal. Um, This one was a little bit subdued in the post game. There was an, I mean, it was basically a home game by proxy for the Mets. Uh, there was probably about 15,000 people in the stands, and at least 10 to 12,000 of them were wearing orange and blue. So it was not. It was kind of a home away from home type of experience. Um, pre-game, you could just kind of tell it was electric. There was almost a clinching atmosphere. Tolo was kind of walking around out on on the field and making some jokes with the fans, looking very relaxed. And uh, it was just, I kind of knew it was going to happen pregame yesterday yeah they were even they were looking at the uh the bottles of champagne i think they had a, a tweet of bartello checking out the champagne before the game i think they knew they were going to come go in there and take care of business um you know i was saying in the open that about a month ago when they had this run that started in san francisco i had done a segment how this is probably going to go down as one of the most disappointing seasons in Mets history how it started you know where they were uh, expected to be and and where they were going. And uh, six weeks later, I'm not going to say it's the most gratifying season in Mets history, but this is pretty gratifying. I think as as you know, from an organization standpoint, to see these guys not buckle down, not fade off into the the sunset. You know, there's something to be said for that, and I think it's a way to establish a winning culture. The thing the Mets have lacked for a long time, even to a certain degree towards the back half of the '80s, is that the culture has never been a good foundation of sustainable winning. And I think that that's what Sandy Olson promised when he came in in 2011. And to a certain degree, something like this, the fact that they could say, look, when you come here, you're expected to win. And, and something like this could be a real good foundation. And you got to feel good about the Mets, regardless of what happens on Wednesday for next year. I would agree there. And I also would agree with your assessment in, in August when it would have been so disappointing. I mean, back then, there probably was nearly a positive storyline to write because uh, really there wasn't any besides maybe the play in Neil Walker, who at the time was just uh, bumped out for the season with the back. But with this nice end of the season run, um, I think that it is gratifying because it was so much adversity, so many hurdles to get over, and it was just the next man up mentality um, for the next guy to jump in and, and do the job well. 
Um, in terms of establishing and cultural winning, well, it's only the second time in, in the history of the franchise they made the playoffs in back-to-back years, which is incredible. Um, you would think in 06 we would have established that that mentality of winning and successful, um, but we know that that possible dynasty was very short-lived um, with just a one-year appearance. And now, two years in a row, you're making the playoffs. I think that if you advance past Wednesday night, tackle uh, Bumgardner, then I think you have kind of climbed the mountaintop to a perennial powerhouse type of a baseball team. I think just being there right now, I think being happy with just being there is part of the problem that got them to the point where they are right now in terms of not appreciating the success that they have and expecting it on a year-to-year basis. I think you've got to tackle this game, get into a divisional series with what basically is a skeleton lineup, a skeleton roster, and try your best against the Cubs. Look, at that point, it's all gravy. You get into the divisional series, anything can happen. But the fan base, the roster, the kids that are on the roster get to experience a playoff series. Not one big game on a, on a Wednesday night, a playoff series. And I think that would pay dividends going forward. That's an interesting take because Coutinho and I were talking about it. And, I mean, I agree 100% with you. It's house money against the Cubs. It's gravy. I said going forward this season, you can't say is a failure, but you make a good point. You go into the wild card game at home, and you, you don't score any runs against Bumgarner, great pitcher or not, and you make a poor performance on Wednesday. It does take a little bit away. Do you think it erases the goodwill of what's happened the last six weeks? Um, or is it just not as sweet as it could have been getting into the National League Division Series? It's definitely not as sweet as it could have been, because, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't erase what they did either. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that it was a tremendous accomplishment. Look, they were the best team in MLB since August 19th. That is an accomplishment in itself. For six weeks, they're playing the best baseball for about, let's say, you know, a fifth of the season um, out of anybody. That's an accomplishment. But the thing is, with this one-game playoff, it can all – for the – fans, for the players, for the young kids especially, it could just be one crazy night. And they might not necessarily learn anything from it or take anything from it. It might just be a crazy night. But when you experience the dynamics of a, even a five-game playoff series against a team like the Cubs where you're going back and forth between their park and your park and seeing the same opponent three, four, five, hopefully, times in a row, um, that's when you really start to – understand what playoff baseball is about this could just end uh, up being one in one insane night yeah no it can be now you'll be in the building on wednesday is that correct i will be in the building sitting in the first row in my uh season tickets like i've had for the last uh 12 years now um i'm excited it'll be fun um it'll be a great matchup uh you, you know there's nobody you'd want to hand the ball to even if your rotation was totally healthy, then Syndergaard likely you could make the argument for DeGrom maybe. But, I mean, look, Syndergaard's your horse. Syndergaard's a stud, and that's the guy you want going out there. Bumgardner is the same, and he has the playoff pedigree. He's a, he's a proven playoff starter. But um, you got to hope that Mets aren't too aggressive. They up his pitch count a little bit, maybe get into that dumpster fire of a bullpen that the Giants got, and then anything could happen. What do you, you have a prediction? I mean, I think you just nailed what I think has to happen. I think if Bumgarner goes deep, I think they're in trouble. Uh, but I think if they could get him out somewhere in the sixth or seventh inning, 
I have they have nine pretty good outs locked down with Salas, Reed, and Familia. It's not like last year. Once once the starter went out, if you didn't bridge it to Familia, you were holding your breath. They had Cologne. Now that's fair. Cologne pitched well. Um, but Cologne coming out of the bullpen, that still worries me. Nice always was, was dicey. You know, Addison Reed wasn't maybe he was and Terry didn't use him. Addison Reed isn't who he is this year. And Clippard was was kerosene on the fire. He clearly was hurt. Um, he was burnt out. Yeah. What do you? What do you? Yeah. What do you? What did you? What do you feel on Wednesday? What's your prediction? You, anything in your gut? What is your gut saying? I have a feeling that Jose Reyes is going to come to play. I think that this guy hasn't been in the postseason in ten years. I think he took it for granted as a kid. He played well in '06 in the postseason, but I think he took it yeah. for granted as a kid. Thought they'd be back. I think that if this kid gets on base once or twice, you might see the Mets be able to manufacture an early Reyes run and just fight and claw to hold on to that lead. And like you said, to hand that ball to what is now a strength in, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Um, you have to maximize every possible opportunity that you have against, uh, against the guy like Bumgardner. And to make a prediction, you know as well as I do, you can't predict anything that's going to happen with this club, especially with the manager. So who knows if he's going to be batting uh, no. Campbell cleanup. You, you, you never know. I, so I, you can't make a prediction. I love the quote, Mike Vaccaro column earlier this week, where even his wife keeps telling him, why didn't you bring Familia in in the eighth inning in game four? You know, if he's not going to listen to his wife, he sure as heck isn't going to listen to anybody else. But And then I laughed today when I was listening to the broadcast, how uh, he told Hernandez and, Co- uh, and Cohen that uh, the thing he's learned this year from last year in the postseason is to go to Familia. Listen, I'm I mean, not a genius, Chris. I mean – if that's not the most Captain Obvious statement, like that commercial uh, over there, <laughs> I don't know what is, my friend. i got to tell you that. <laughs> well, what people, what people forget is that he did go to Familia. He went to Familia in game three when they were up six runs. He burnt their bridge and he, yeah. in, uh, in Clippard, and he burnt Familia in the first of three straight games. Familia was t- tacked a little bit in that Friday night game, game uh, three in the World Series last year, and then they, he called on him again when he could have rested him uh, after two long outings in game one and game two, um, he or game one, and then he burnt them out in game three, up six runs. So he kind of right. already was defaulting to bring in Familia. People kind of forget that, that yeah, uh, he brought Familia in in a precarious situation because Clippers the one that kind of made that mess in game four last year, and Familia had to come in and try to clean it up. But remember, he had just pitched the night before in a game that if I'm him, I'm not thinking I'm going to be used when we're up six runs going forward. Um, and, and the rest is history, but I, Mike and I had a, a little back and forth uh, about his piece um, via email uh, in the papers, and he made a great point in the sense that great managers are the ones that give people something to write about every day, and we know that Collins at least does that for us. Yeah, I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit for where this team is at. He's going to be here next year. Um, do I think the Mets could do better? Sure. Right now, that's not for today. That's not for the conversation. And uh, listen, the, the slate is clean. If he's going to learn how to manage a bullpen in the next uh, 48 to 72 hours, then, you know, everything else he does okay. But anyway, Chris, what do you got? You want to promote anything? You got anything coming up at MetsMarizedOnline.com? Give, give me something for the listeners to, uh, to chew on. We've had some pretty good record numbers, so you might get a nice pop, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks. We've been doing really well. We might get a nice pop uh, for whatever you got going on. I'm actually going to be starting. Uh, well, I have the partnership with Tops, so I'm always promoting their uh, their Tops Now series, their line of cards. We get the team set for the Mets clinch coming out uh, this week, and also I'm actually 
partnering up with my alma mater, Stony Brook University, to be creating a new uh, Stony Brook Athletics website and a Stony Brook Athletics wow. newsletter. So we'll be interviewing um, and doing some production pieces with guys uh, like Will Ty on the New York Giants, like Travis Janikowski on the Padres, and like Tommy Kohler on the Marlins. Um, so, Very cool. Uh, keep an eye out on that. It's going to be real fun. It's going to be pre- something pretty unique. We're all excited about it. And Stony Brook's right up the road for me. So even though I'm a St. John's grad, I kind of feel now because I live pretty much in the backyard of Stony Brook that I have to root for them. So you know that I'll be listening. So there you go. So uh, they're doing great stuff, things. Football uh, had two. They're doing great things. Football had two wins against top 25 programs in the last three yep. weeks, and baseball was in the College World Series uh, only a few short years ago. But thank you very they much, man, jump. for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good stuff. Chris, appreciate it. We'll uh we'll be in touch. That's good stuff. You know, Stony Brook wants to jump in the uh the gap that uh Hofstra, uh I guess has uh, opened up where they canceled their football team and they're not the same. Hey, you know, let's wrap up here. I'm not going to go to commercial or anything. We you know, we're pretty much out of time. I think we've we've digested this and exhausted this. So, it's really about the game on Wednesday now. It'll be interesting to see how the roster goes. I certainly agree with um, you know, some of the uh Thoughts there on uh, um, uh, on the uh, on Twitter here, where it looks like the dude is going to get the start over Loney, and um, you know that'll you know that, that I, I agree with that. We'll see how things go when it turn, turns out about the Mets roster. My prediction is this: I, I, I have a feeling the Mets, and I'm going to give the home field advantage. I was listening to what Jay Bruce said in the post game yesterday, how a home field advantage means so much. And I think that that is important. Not that you can't win on the road, but I think back to Kansas City, I believe, was the home team against Oakland and how that went down and, um, and how home field could be just so important in that playing game. And I think City Field will be rocking. I think the Mets fans come out and they make it a good atmosphere. They may not come out all the time during the regular season. They may be kind of not into it. And baseball is such a long season. But for these postseason games, they put everything into it. And I think that'll be, the, that'll be the difference. And I think we'll be watching the Mets play a game one in Wrigley Field on Friday, and we'll, we'll see what happens. As far as the podcast, uh, win or lose, I'll, I'll probably – well, no. If they win, I'll do something Thursday for the NLDS. If they lose, I'm going to wait about a day or two for the postmortem, and then I'll record something over the weekend because then we're going to go into off-season mode, and I have to figure it out. So I know Sunday kind of fits. It fits for the regular season. During the postseason, it doesn't necessarily fit. So we have to, uh, to think about that. So if the Mets win and there's a series against the Cubs Thursday night, I'll figure something out. If the Mets lose, post-mortem next weekend, I'll figure something out. So just keep going to MetsMarizeOnline.com and, uh, and check out the latest Talking Mets podcast. You can check it out on the menu option right above. Of course... You can check me out at Mike Silva Media on Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm there. Hope everybody's going to have a great rest of the weekend. Enjoy Wednesday. I want to thank Rich Catino and Chris from Metsmarized Online. Enjoy the game, and I'll see you guys next week, hopefully Thursday after a Mets victory. Take care. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, head for the